0: In the holy name of Jesus, your sisters and brothers in Christ, what do you have if you have no words? Last week I promised you that I was not going to talk about my son every Sunday from the pulpit and I'm going to keep that promise but not today. And the reason for that is because the Lord is teaching me and my family some beautifully powerful and heavy things, and I fail as your pastor if I do not teach you those things as well. You know, one of the most common responses we received when we first shared the news with everyone was, Pastor, there there just are no words. And I know what is meant by that. It's an attempt to try to communicate the gravity of the situation. Talking about sickness and disease is a hard thing to do. Talking about cancer might be even more difficult. Talking about cancer in a two-year-old, well, there are just no words. But is that true? What do we have if we have no words? This isn't the first time in your life that you have been left speechless. I know you all well enough to know that you've seen some stuff in your life. You've experienced things yourself. You've heard of things and read about things that happened around the world or things that even hit very, very close to home and they are things that have kept you up at night. Things that you can't even begin to wrap your mind around. Maybe even things that have caused you to question God. To question His goodness to question His willingness and His ability to act on behalf of His people. And if you are there right now or you have ever been there before in your life, and I know you have, I want you to know that you are in very good company this morning. Because Habakkuk did that too. Habakkuk is one of those really small relatively unknown and overlooked books in the Bible and you probably have never read it unless you've done that thing where you sat down in a year over three years and committed to reading the entire Bible from front to back but I don't know anyone who just sat down and said you know what I'm gonna read today the book of Habakkuk And if you haven't said that lately you should It's three chapters You can get through it in 20 minutes, maybe less. Habakkuk was God's prophet around the time 600 B.C., which made him a contemporary of more well-known prophets like Jeremiah and Nahum and Zephaniah, which also means that Habakkuk lived and served during some of the darkest days in Israel's history. Maybe a a pastor or a Bible teacher has taught you this before, but you, you realize as you read through the Old Testament that it really is just sort of this reoccurring theme and cycle between God and His people, right? God comes to His people and He says, You, Israel, you are going to be My chosen people. I am going to bless you with My presence and bless you with My promises. And God's people take that to heart, and they love Him, and they worship Him, and they keep His commandments, and God says, good, I will be your God, and you will be my people as long as you keep doing that. And for a while, they do. Maybe a generation, maybe sometimes even two. But eventually, the people of Israel strayed. They gave up on God's commandments They started to mold and sort of conform their lives to how their neighbors, these godless and idolatrous nations around them were living, and they wanted to become more like them, and they turned their back on God, and they defiled His temple and His worship. And so God, in love for His people, called them to repent. He sent them prophet after prophet, And most of the time, God's people rejected those prophets, or they beat them up and they sent them home. Sometimes they did things even worse. And then eventually, God typically had to take more drastic measures. Something that reminded them that God is still serious about his law and his word, but that he also still wants them to be his people. So he would send them a famine, or he would send them something that would wipe out a large number of them, or he would send in one of those neighboring nations to capture them and overpower them and enslave them. And yet, as terrible as all of that sounds, in the midst of that, here's what God was doing. He was continuing to keep and preserve a remnant of believers, a remnant of those who would not let go of the promises of God. And those people did repent. And they came back to God and God forgave them. And they started the cycle all over again. The low parts of that cycle, turning their backs on God and defiling his temple and his worship, this is where Israel is, really Judah. We're dealing with the southern kingdom. This is where Judah is at the time of Habakkuk. The kings who were ruling Jerusalem and Judah up to the time of Habakkuk were doing things that God described as being these are the kinds of things that even the godless neighbors are not doing. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, King Manasseh is described this way. He sacrificed his sons in the fire practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites." The so-called people of God were doing more evil, were committing more egregious sins than the godless nations that the Lord had destroyed in order to protect and preserve and prosper the so-called people of God. So, God called them to repent. He sent in prophet after prophet to preach to them. And under the reign of King Jehoiakim... The prophet Jeremiah was nearly killed multiple times. Constantly running for his life. And then there was this lesser known prophet named Uriah. He wasn't as fortunate as Jeremiah. He preached the same message. This message that the wrath and judgment of God is coming and that he is going to destroy Judah and all of Jerusalem, including your precious temple. And King Jehoiakim said, strike that man down where he stands. And they did. And as Habakkuk looks out over the nation of Judah, over the people of God, as he witnesses their idolatry and their bloodshed, their hatred for God and His law, Habakkuk asks the fundamental, foundational question. The question that every believer of every generation, including us, asks God Why? Why aren't you stopping this, God? Why don't you answer my prayers? Why are you allowing evil to prosper and your people to suffer? Why are you, the God of mercy and compassion, the God, of, the God who loves righteousness and hates wickedness, tolerating such injustice? Habakkuk says, God, I see it as plain as day. Surely you see it too. Why? There's a question you've asked too. You've asked it on a global scale, right? As we witness certain events and the the tides of history turning against God's Word and against His church, where a sin is called a virtue and true virtue is called sin. As evil is rewarded and righteousness is punished, But you've also asked that question on a more personal scale too. As the Lord allows suffering and loss to enter into your life, as He lays a painful and a heavy cross in your path, and says really nothing else but pick it up and follow Me. He watches you weep like one without hope, and mourn like one without comfort. And eventually you get to that point where you say, why? Why, God? How long, O Lord? Why aren't you doing something? Why don't you stop this? And can we stop For just a moment and marvel at that for a minute, many of you here this morning are what I would call, maybe no one else would, but I would call you experts in your field. We have people here this morning who are experts in finance and IT and engineering and business and design, and social work, and childcare, and construction, and education. You went to school for it. You're well trained in it. You've been doing it long enough that you know more than most. So how do you feel when someone who isn't, and who wasn't, and who doesn't, starts to challenge your ability to be an expert in your field. How do you feel when people start to question you in such a way that they insinuate that you don't have a clue what it is you're doing? How long do you take those kinds of questions from people who don't know as much as you do before you finally snap? Can we stop and marvel at the fact that our God doesn't snap. Because we've all snapped on God, and yet here we are, not only vertical, but still here clinging to Him. What do we have if we have no words? So, in the midst of our pain and our loneliness and our tears, God gives us words to use when we want to complain against Him. You ever think about that? Some Bible scholars actually say that as many as a quarter of the Psalms are really just complaints against God. The fancy Bible word that they use is lament. Lament but they're really just complaints. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What were you thinking? How come you haven't done this? A quarter of them. And God records them and preserves them for you and me to also say. What do we have if we have no words? We have nothing, and so God gives us words. God even gives us words, like he does here through the prophet Habakkuk, words that we can speak when we want to complain to God. And here's what you need to know, friends, that yours is a God who so lovingly wants to hear your prayers and listen to your voice, that he treasures your complaints as much as he values your praise. He'll take it. That being said, he who fearfully and wonderfully fashions every child in the womb, he who took on human flesh and blood in the womb of his own mother, he who said, let the little ones come to me and do not hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, do you think he is blind to the suffering of our children? Do you think that he is blind to the attacks that are being waged on the unborn? He who was a stranger in a strange land, who had no home and nowhere to lay his head, do you suppose that he does not hear your cry when you struggle financially or professionally? Do you think that he does not hear the cries of the homeless? or the disenfranchised, or the poor? He who was executed by spineless political and religious leaders, do you think that he is unaware of the corruption and the cowardness and the callousness that exists in the church and in our government today? Come on. He who makes every life in his image and likeness. He who writes his law on every human heart. He who loves every single soul to the degree that he was willing to lay down his own life to redeem them all. Do you think that he does not hate prejudice and persecution and racism even more than you do? What do we have if we have no words? We have nothing. So the Lord answers our questions of why. And he doesn't just answer Habakkuk. He tells Habakkuk, Write it down and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now there's a couple different ways you can understand and translate that last phrase. And my favorite is that you really view it as God wants Habakkuk to write these down on tablets so big and so large that even if people are running, they can't miss them. Essentially, God is saying, I want you to put these on the billboards so that no one misses it, so that everyone can read it and hear it and rejoice in it. And did you catch what the Lord's answer to Habakkuk was? Habakkuk says, why? How long, Lord? And the Lord's reply is, wait. I will put an end to all of the suffering and the injustice that you see. Just wait. And I think that might even be more frustrating than no answer at all. But when you're hitting a thousand at keeping your promises, as only the Lord God is, then you have every reason to believe Him. And so did Habakkuk. God would put an end to the evil in Jerusalem, even if only temporarily. Sometime over the next 10 to 20 years, God would raise up the nation of Babylon who would destroy Jerusalem and the temple just as God said through His prophets. But in doing so, He preserved His remnant, He preserved His people, and He preserved His promise. The promise not just to deliver Jerusalem, but the promise to deliver a Savior, And when the time had fully come, and when the time for waiting was over, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that you and I might have the full rights of being God's sons. You see, for 2,000 years, God kept up with Israel's cycle, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, never giving up on His people because He never gave up on His promise. So here we are, living in the end times, some 2,000 years removed from Christ's first coming, watching similar things take place in our world and in our lives, asking God the exact same questions and listening as God gives us the exact same response. Just wait. Just wait. The end is coming. Your pain and your suffering will not last forever. My Son is coming again. And you have every reason to believe Him. This is how you survive. This is how we live in the last days. The Lord said it this way, the final verse in our text, the righteous will live by faith. Did you know that that one verse is the verse that really set off the entire Lutheran Reformation? It was that verse that Luther said, that's different. That's different from what I've been taught. That's different from how I've been living. The righteous live by faith and we set that juxtaposed to the righteous will live by their works by what they do, by how strong they work to save themselves, by how righteous they are by their own good deeds. No, Luther discovered this, which really is not hidden in Scripture. You see, it's mentioned here in Habakkuk, that book that no one knows, but it's repeated again in the New Testament, in Romans, in Galatians, and in Hebrews. But you see, it's not just a verse that is used to describe the different ways, the different approaches to how will we live eternally? How will we be saved? We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace through faith. This passage also refers to us living by faith here and now. Here's another thing you'll hear people say a lot to you in trying times. You just got to have faith. And when they say that to you, maybe not to their face, but remind yourself later, faith in what? Because that matters. You see, faith is not this objectless thing. You can't just have faith. Faith has to look to something. It has to cling to something. Faith is putting your hope and trust in someone or something. So you just gotta have faith in what? What do you have if you, you have no words? Well, then you have nothing to cling to. So God gives you words. He gives you promises. Promises that he never fails to keep. And as difficult as this is for me to say, and as difficult maybe as it is for you to hear, one of those promises is not, he will get better. Just isn't. He might. He might not. And that's okay. Because that's not the promise. The promise is, the promise is the one that he has recorded in his word. Twice in our readings this morning, 66% of our readings, we heard the, 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 the Lord say something like, write this down. Which is God's way of saying, take this to the bank. Hold me to this. These are the promises I've sealed with the blood of my very own son, and I will never fail to keep them. So we wait, and we pray, and we expect these, every single one of them. Hold him to the promise of baptism. That through water and the Word, you belong to God and He belongs to you. Hold Him to the promise of your forgiveness. Your forgiveness for everything, for all of it. That you are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. That you have been redeemed by the blood of God's Son. Hold Him to the promise that death will not be your end. That the resurrection to eternal life is yours. That your future is safe and secure in the living hands of Jesus. No matter what your life looks like or how it turns out, that is something you can take to the bank. There are just no words. It makes sense that the world would say that but it doesn't make sense for us to say that because we have the words God has given to us his words the words of comfort and hope the very words of eternal life he gives you his promise hold him to it always And be confident that regardless of what your eyes see in this life, He holds you in the palm of His hands. In the name of Jesus, Amen.